Welcome back, Crack fans. As always, I'm your host, Dalton Thieneman. Go check out the website, CrackRackets.com, and add that on the favorites on your website browser on your phone. Matt and Ryan Carter for continuing to keep you up to date on the college tennis scene. We just recently released Tim Smichek's pod, so go check that out. Even though Westoff has struggled to spell Tim's last name there. But one quick plug, go follow our Twitter and Instagram pages. The handle is CrackRackets. And if you haven't already, go subscribe, rate, and review the Great Shot Podcast. Alex Gruskin, Max Rothman, and Max Fliegner have new episodes with that banterous back-and-forth style you love every week. So make sure to check out their latest episode. They are currently reviewing the ATP American Hardcourt Swing, so they've got some good stuff for you this week. But on this edition of the Cracked Interviews, world number 117, Dennis Kudla joins the podcast to discuss his five-set thriller with Dominic Team at the Australian Open earlier this year. Growing up training at the Junior Tennis Champion Center in College Park, Maryland, navigating the Metro to and from practice at 13 years old, which is a funny story there, uh, rocking a Lacoste polo during tennis matches, and of course the backwards hat on the court. And this is one of my favorite interviews. I think you're really going to love this one. But before we get to Dennis, let's hear from our sponsor. Alex, I'll be honest, I haven't said it to you much, but I really don't like your fashion off the court. What, you think I wear too many tennis clothes? You know, it's, I mean, yes, but <laughs> it's not that you wear too much tennis clothing. It's just you're not wearing the right type of tennis clothing. What do you mean? There's a specific brand I should be wearing? You clearly haven't heard of the new tennis clothes company called Cross Court Threads. Cross Court Threads, is that going to be something with knitting? No, not exactly, although they do use high quality material. In fact, they have some pretty unbelievable designs on their website. You're the one who criticizes my clothing, so uh, I'll leave the design choices up to you. What do they got? They've got an awesome Rebel Legend tee with the all-famous Andre Agassi on it, rocking the nice lechuga out the back. Lechuga, oh my Oh, let me tell you, he's got some beautiful flow. They've also got a nice 40 love hat with some beautiful cursive. What about for the truckers out there? Any trucker hats? Oh yeah, they've got a trucker hat. A beautiful logo trucker hat with the Cross Threads logo on it. And you know, I keep it low key, but sometimes I wear leggings on the courts. Anything for me? They've got some racer leggings that look perfect for that nice round butt of yours. Goes up to XXL? (laughs) That it does. (laughs) Awesome. Well, you know, Maxie, while my USTA player number may still be active, I consider myself more in the retired phase, more analyst than player. If there is a way for me to be an Instagram ambassador for cross-court threads, you know, maybe flaunt the gear I'm wearing, not necessarily pick the designs. Is there a program for me to do that? You can be a brand ambassador in the brand ambassador program. Look, it's a four-month program, and you seem like the perfect candidate as someone who's a frequent wearer of tennis I mean, clothes. it sounds like the program for me. Where can I apply? You can apply right on their website, crosscourtthreads.com. 
And check this out. If you subscribe to their email list, you'll get 10% off. It's crosscourtthreads.com. That it is. Crosscourtthreads.com. Crosscourtthreads.com. You know what, Alex? I liked that bit the first time, but let me just remind the listeners, it's crosscourtthreads without the dash. Just crosscourtthreads.com. I know what you're getting me for my birthday. Oh, yeah? What is that? Crosscourtthreads.com. Dennis, first and foremost, welcome on the Craft Interviews Pod. Tonight, we're also joined by my co-host, host of the Great Shot Podcast, Alex Bruskin. Excited to have you on. Uh, I'm sure you know you expected this if you heard the Tommy Paul podcast, but we have to address you're a big Eagles fan. They won the Super Bowl. How was that? Uh, I was in San Francisco in my hotel room, and it was the day before my first round, and I was planning on going to a bar, uh, absolutely celebrating That's a, hopeful, a hopeful Super Bowl win. Honestly, before the game, just being underdogs the whole playoff, I thought there might have been a chance, but a small one. But being in my hotel room, I, I was with my coach there uh, for the week, and we were going crazy. I was absolutely <laughs> going nuts on every big play. It was a fun game to watch just because there was so much scoring. And I was lucky enough at Saddlebrook to train with uh, Trey Burton. So when that Philly special came up, and I was going nuts. So it was uh, it made it it made it pretty awesome to watch that Super Bowl and see him win. And so I was lucky enough to um, <laughs> not go too crazy and uh, actually get a win, just based off the adrenaline of the Eagles winning the Super Bowl. So it was actually a great week for me. So we'll move over to Australian Open of this year. You know, after a tough 2017. You beat fellow uh, compatriot Stevie Johnson in the first yeah. round of the tournament. Give us, give us your mentality going into the Aussie Open and and the match with Stevie when you first saw that in the draw. I had a pretty brutal 18 months, pretty much from when I hit my career high. It kind of spiraled downward, and I dropped down to uh, I think about maybe 220 or 218 at one point. So it was definitely a tough part of my career, a lot of doubts. So I had to kind of regroup my mindset, you know, and really sit down with my team and understand why this lasted so long. And the biggest thing for me was just kind of competing my heart out uh, and really getting back to the love of the game, which I was struggling to find and just keeping it simple and making sure I was in good shape and just controlling what I could control. So going into the 2018 year, that's, that was my biggest goal was I, I want to compete as hard as I can every single match and do a couple little things we have for our team. But I was pretty nervous. You know, I just haven't won three matches in a row only once in 10 or 11 months. So thinking about qualifying for a slam and especially the year before, I lost three of the four slams in last round qualities. So I was going through my head, just qualify. Um, going through qualifying, beating Berrettini last round, down 5-3, him serving. And qualifying was an awesome feeling. I hadn't done that in a long time. Um, and then waiting for the draw to come out, seeing the one spot I draw as Steve Johnson, you know, I consider my best friends on tour, was like, wow, okay, I have an 0-5 record against him. Uh, I, I I honestly thought I was just going to lose. And uh, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm probably going to lose. I'm just going to compete and see what happens. And then uh, I was lucky enough to get through that. I played a great match, 
being a qualifier sometimes gives you that advantage. Uh, getting used to three matches on the courts and the pressure, you have momentum going, and uh, that was a huge win for me. And then playing team the next round uh, was was awesome. Playing one of the hottest days, highest played on, and getting up two sets of love and being and playing great tennis uh, against one of the top guys in the world, and really believing myself. And I was I was totally comfortable. I, I really thought I could have won that in straight sets and then all of a sudden uh that's just where it got pretty hot and it got a little bit physical and things started to uh kind of fall out of my hands unfortunately so disappointing to lose off something like that but uh at the same time it was a big confidence booster knowing i was ahead for such a large part of the match but i told myself you know that's something i'm control this year i'm gonna control my fitness and make sure that i'm in great shape and i don't let this happen again if uh, the opportunity is you know, in front of me. So I was definitely a glass showing open. I could learn from, and that was uh, the mentality for sure going into it. You talked about the five-setter with team. Tell us about the crowd. Yeah, the uh, I mean, the crowd at first, I think, were just there to watch team, uh, <laughs> for sure. Uh, you know, beat up on a qualifier. Um, I'm sure guys that have knowledge of tennis know who I am, but, you know, a regular fan might not know who I am. So it was definitely just probably watching team and seeing what he can do. But early rounds are always interesting just because sometimes there are upsets early in the year. Uh, everyone's fresh and everyone can play. Uh, and then the crowd, you know, they weren't anything crazy until I think I won the second set and they really felt like, wow, there was a huge upset brewing. And they were getting behind me. Uh, I heard a bunch of guys, you know, trying to push me on especially in the fourth set when I was getting tired. <laughs> so it was great to have them incredibly involved. It wasn't the craziest match I was ever a part of, but definitely up there. And, yeah, it was unfortunate I couldn't get the win. I couldn't get the screaming, screaming crowd on my side, but it was definitely uh, one of the more fun environments uh, in my career. Yeah, I mean, it was an incredibly fun match to watch. So, you know, credit to you for that effort. Um, I do want to talk about the tennis specifics from that match, but you mentioned confidence earlier. And I'm just curious, you know, at the end of 2017, you make the Charlottesville Challenger quarterfinal. You make the final in Knoxville. How much does that success at the end of the year transfer over to the beginning of your next season? Or is it really just a clean slate once you get to the offseason? Um, yeah, I thought it was kind of half and half. I mean, Charlottesville didn't do too much for me. Usually it's, I mean, I had made a bunch of quarters throughout the year, but I just couldn't get past the quarters. So leaving Charlottesville again, losing in the quarterfinals was almost another kind of blow, especially that's a, that's a place I love playing in and I've done so well in the previous years, but going in Knoxville, no expectations last week of the year. I just wanted that in the year competing hard. Like I thought I picked Cam Nori first round and I thought I was going to lose for sure. And getting a bunch of good wins, a bunch of three setters, Knoxville kind of really sparked my love again and, and really gave me the confidence I, I needed to push yourself to this crazy limit when you in the off season to really improve, get better, get through tough moments physically when you're trying to improve. And uh that allowed me to start the year in some great shape, probably the best shape I've been in two years, which is you know, allowed me to have some great results in the beginning of this year and it's showing and it's something that I've done a couple times now <laughs> going in and out of the top 100 and now you know for the third time trying to go back into the top 100 and as an older player realizing you know I'm not 
you know, not to get satisfied and, and really enjoy and, and realize what position I am and kind of roll with the confidence uh, better than I have before as a younger player. Well, I, I'm just going to say you are not an old player. Tim Smeechek's <laughs> old. Like, he's 30. That's yeah. <laughs> I understand I'm not an old player, but I'm getting to the halfway point. You know, I've, I've started really early. I started around 16, so I'm coming up on 10 years. So I feel like I've been around a very long time. I agree. And as good of a place as that would be to transition, I got to ask one more thing about your team match. Um, mm. So, you know, you talked about the conditions and you look at the stats from that match in terms of net points, you went 22 of 34. So, you know, in a five set match, 34 times coming to the net, especially against a guy like Dominic team, that's a lot. And so is that something you're doing because of the heat? Is that something you saw tactically? You know, what led to that decision? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm not a person that comes to the net that much, but when I am playing my best tennis, I'm a pretty aggressive player, so you find a lot of opportunities to come to the net, and to be those top guys, you kind of have to take them. It's not easy, but I I think I was just I don't know, feeling it that day with uh, my court positioning and understanding where I was on the court and how far back he likes to play. That's definitely not the best court for him to play his style. He likes to play really far back and high and heavy. And my game plan was really to stay on top of the on top of the baseline and control points as much as I can and not get past neutral and really stay away from being on defense because that's where he kills guys because he's so good at opening up the court and creating power. So I was just on top of it. I, I took a lot of angles when he was trying to neutralize and I found him I found him on the run slicing or you know, on dead run forehand and forced him to come up with some great passes. So gave me opportunities to come in and gave me some easy volleys, which uh, was awesome for definitely the uh, good period amount of, a good period of that match. Oh, for sure. It was a pleasure to watch. And, you know, one thing that also stuck out from that match, your back, you know, backhand cross, backhand cross, backhand line combo is just phenomenal. It's definitely uh, was something that's always been my best strength, my backhand. It's no secret. It's it's definitely <laughs> what pays the bills, giving guys uh, knowledge. and you know it's it's forced me to improve in other parts of my game because guys start knowing it, guys stop going there. But uh, when it, when I'm feeling it, I definitely have confidence where I can play with anyone from that side, and that was something um, tactic tactically team played into my game really well, which allowed me to play some good tennis. So I was uh, fortunate enough that you know I was I was getting the patterns that I wanted to get. Uh, early in the match and you mentioned you know you're a uh, you know a savvy seasoned veteran at this point I want to rewind for a second you know your family originally born in the Ukraine dad's a successful architect and then moves the family to the U.S. how was growing up you know from an early stage in the college park area and then practicing with your older brother growing up yeah um, so me starting tennis was kind of an accident um, my dad had no intention of me being a tennis player. He was actually <laughs> teaching my brother, who was 12, and I was seven. Um, so little did he know, you know, 12 is a little late to start tennis as a professional, while seven is almost perfect. I was just following him. I was an only little brother, and luckily somebody kind of guided us, guided him in the right direction in, in noticing my talent of kind of just having hand-eye coordination at such a young age that you know, led me to being at the JTCC in College Park and for 10 years, which if it wasn't for that and that perfect situation for me, I don't know if I'd still be playing tennis or 
or, or anything. So it was um, definitely all incredibly lucky how it all started. And you know, my brother quit probably two or three years later. But if it wasn't for him, I would never have started. So it was. Uh, we definitely talk about it from time to time in our family and just realize how lucky we are to be in the positions we are in and, and just each individual story in our family. And that's definitely mine, which is, is awesome. For sure, for sure. And, and word on the street is you used to commute to and from the training facility at College Park via Metro, you know, starting at 13. How was commuting during rush hour and just, uh, you know, growing up at such a young age? I feel like 13, you know, that's the formidable stages of life. I feel like you were yeah. growing up at that point. Pretty much tennis forced me to grow up really fast. Um, I was traveling alone, not by myself, but with coaches without my parents when I was 11. And taking the you know public transportation to Metro, luckily DC is one of the better systems in the country, so it was pretty safe. Um, rush hour was brutal. I was a small kid for a while; I couldn't reach, you know, the top bar. <laughs> so um, when I got to a certain age where I could barely reach it, and I had my tennis bag, and I had to hold it because it was pretty aggressive. And uh, I'd be standing for 25 minutes. It, it was brutal. It was almost like a whole nother training session um, <laughs> with a huge tennis bag. And you got, it, yeah, it was tough. I definitely found, you know, the exact place where you stand to get the door next to the elevator and the stop you need to get off. I knew everything there was to know. Um, but yeah, it was the only, only option I had. It was, it was too far away from where we lived in Virginia for my parents to commute back and forth. You know, my mom was, working at a hotel. Um, so those hours are seven, eight, nine hour days. And my dad, you know, he was an architect. So you never know what's going to happen when there's a meeting. Um, there is no schedule with that job. So and the only way I, I could pursue kind of my love for tennis and have it on a consistent basis was going to the Metro. And yeah, I was lucky enough to pick it up quick and uh, never had really have any issues. <laughs> I like it. What's better, your backhand pattern or your DMV maneuverability skills? Uh, I would say uh, DMV maneuverability for sure. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can get from Pennsylvania to Arlington, Pennsylvania Street to yeah. Road. Yeah, you need to know how to get on public transportation. Uh, I'm your guy. Oh, I like it. I like it. Uh, <laughs> I do want to ask one clarifying question about your juniors because you know I was reading your Wikipedia page to do a little research beforehand, and in on there it says. You know, one of the biggest jumps in your career was when you beat junior tennis prodigy Trey Hatcher of Knoxville, seven five seven six at the boys' twelves national hard courts. Uh, is that at yeah. all true? Uh, that was that wasn't me. I didn't write that, so I actually had, I don't remember it. Um, the name sounds familiar. <laughs> I'm pretty uh. sure the Wikipedia page. I'm not sure who wrote it. I think it was Parsa from. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was. It's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty accurate. Most of Wikipedia, it's about ninety, I think ninety eight percent true, except for that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, it's a great job. But I think, yeah, that sentence. That's funny that you picked up on that one. I remember reading it. And I'm like, okay, I guess he got in there. It might have been him himself who wrote it, but <laughs> it may or may not say that Parsa is your current agent, by the way. So yeah, who knows? They have to tweak uh, yeah, that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like it. I do want to ask though, you know, growing up at the JTCC, obviously, you know, people know yourself, Francis Tiafo, but there's a mm -hmm. ton of great players. The Mitchell Franks, who has a tremendous college career, comes to mind as one. 
Yeah. Uh, what led to your decision to train there as opposed to say the USTA or, you know, anywhere else that was available to you? There was no vision of me going pro. That wasn't a vision. It was just me staying out of trouble. Um, that was my dad's vision. <laughs> so, They're letting you commute through the DMV. Clearly, you're staying out of trouble. Yeah. I mean, my based on the things I hear from my mom and my dad back in you know, <laughs> Soviet Union, that was nothing. So there was a lot of trust early. You know, training there was awesome. By the time I was 15, 16, I realized you know, what potential I had. And then at that point, things were working out so well. College Park became one of the best, you know, academies in the country. So it was just incredibly lucky to have that resource so close to my home to where I didn't have to leave my family. I didn't have to leave my friends. I, I could I could be at home, live a normal life and have the opportunity to train in one of the best facilities in the country with some of the best juniors. I mean, at one point I was three in the world, Mitchell was five in the world and we had Junior Orr who was like 12 in the world and to have all that just in the DC area was in, was incredible so we were pushing ourselves and I couldn't ask for you know definitely a better junior career setup for uh for training yeah you definitely got to stay close to home but you know I know you were after ninth grade I think did homeschooling so you could focus <laughs> on your tennis Looking back, is that a path you would recommend for kids with pro aspirations, or would you say take the Jack Sock route, play high school tennis? A lot of guys went to regular school and you know and did great. I never liked school; I hated it, <laughs> um, <laughs> and I was willing to give it up. Um, I was in you know unique homeschool situation. It was more of kind of a school at College Park, so there were other students, and it just felt like a mini school. 10, 15 kids. So I wasn't by myself. I was doing it just through my parents, uh, which could have been a lot different. But uh, I mean, the high school tennis route, I think it works. I mean, being a pro takes a lot of work. Uh, some guys can do it when they're 18, 19. Some guys make it, you know, mid 20s. Just never know. I think if you put too much pressure on yourself to make it so fast, it can be tough. It can, you know, I, I do believe if you're good, you're going to be good no matter what you do until probably 17, 18. And that's when things kind of need to change and decide where you're going to be, where you're going to train, what your team is going to be like, and, and what your motives are in the sport. I completely agree. And, you know, looking at your career specifically, you know, you won 16's Kalamazoo. You won the 16's Orange Bowl. Uh, you eventually Final made I, I wish I won Kalamazoo. <laughs> didn't you win? You didn't win 16? No, I lost to Jordan Cox in the final. Oh, that's that's my fault. <laughs> what I was apologize. the score? 6-3, 5-7, 6-1. So you remember that, but not the boys' 12s? No, the boys' 12s, I only remember a couple of matches. But <laughs> <laughs> I like that it, but it. you know. For a guy like you, you know, you had a ton of junior success. And so, yeah. you know, you mentioned you're a Virginia guy, but I'm sure you had your selection of colleges. Uh, talk yeah. us through what your, you know, college decision process was like and when you decided to turn pro. So I guess when I was 16, I realized high school was getting close and I needed to make a decision if I was going college or pro, you know, real life is coming up. And I started to kind of freak out a little bit of like, oh, wow, what am I, what am I going to do? I, I knew I was a good player, but I didn't think I was going to be that great of a pro. But college just seemed like, wow, am I really going to go to college? <laughs> I, I just, I don't know. So I reached out to uh, USC. I loved USC. I wanted to go there. 
over Virginia. At the time, yeah. When I was younger, oh. USC was my number one. Wow. Um, it's it's the then, sunshine, right? And the women. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it was uh, more like JT Sudling was a good friend of mine who was on the team. Raymond Sarmiento was going to go there. So, you know, a little influenced by them. But then I won 16's Orange Bowl. I was offered a pro contract and I ended up taking it. Uh, and then later on, I still took the SAT two years later, just in case. Uh, um, but and then I, I kind of grew a love for Virginia, uh, going down to the Challenger, doing well, getting closer with the team, knowing it was, you know, closer to home. And I started going there more and more and more in some off weeks and um, fell in love with that school. And, and knowing what I know now, I, I would have loved to, you know, be part of the Virginia program. Definitely my favorite. You know, sometimes a um, couple teams I feel like have adopted me a little bit as as a fan. Uh, you know, and um, <laughs> you know, it's been great. It's definitely uh, a school I recommend for a lot of guys. It's incredible resources, and um, definitely my number one school. When you were making that decision back in two thousand eight, you know, what was that decision like? Right now, you know, you've got a lot of proven former college players on the tour. It wasn't necessarily like that at the time. So did that impact your decision? You're right. At the time, there wasn't too many guys that had gone to school. I definitely weighed kind of the pros and cons of the situation with my parents. My parents luckily completely supported uh, going pro and and realized you have one shot to go pro and college is always there. Um, Obviously, the scholarship isn't always there, but the opportunity to go to college will always be there. Well, a window of being a professional tennis player. Is very small, so uh, and I and I had an opportunity. I had a contract. I had money um, that was guaranteed. So that's obviously something. It's not everyone's situation, and I realized, okay, I, I have a shot. There's people that believe in me and uh, have resources from USTA, and it makes sense to give it a go. Um, if all these people are believing in me and there's definitely something there that I, I, I can find. And I knew I was always a hard worker. So that was uh, definitely the process there. And um, I met my agent the day of going pro. My coach, Frank Salazar, at the time was controlling everything. He talked to all the agents for me. And he connected me with Sam Duvall, who's still my agent today. And um, it connected really well. I had faith in him and he had faith in me and that's kind of how it uh, all happened. And I decided, you know, college, uh, college is going to have to wait for post-tennis career. <laughs> I have to say the guaranteed money definitely makes that decision a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. But, and and I will also say uh, shout out to top notch management and Sam Duvall. They're definitely friends of the pod. Got to represent. Shout out to Lacoste, Technify. Yeah, let's get them out of the way now. <laughs> the Tampa Bay. We got to plug the people that matter. Yeah, all the way. Yeah, down. not. Yeah, exactly. Now it's um, Onyx. So <laughs> yeah, there we go. So I want to take us back to Austin, Texas, and this is October 12th through 17th, 2010. We have an 18-year-old Dennis Kudla at the you know USA F26 Futures taking home his first title. And my mm-hmm. question to you is, do you remember who you played in the semifinals and finals and what the scores were? I beat Hawkwall in the finals, 5-1. and one. <laughs> uh, Yeah, totally remember. Um, oh, I love it. 
Yeah, that was, that was definitely a special week. I was lucky enough in the finals. Um, I knew Walmart was tough. I played him a couple times in futures. It was always close. And then kind of I woke up that morning in the finals, uh, the first final in the future, and ended up having a really tight back. And it was a problem for me when I was younger. And down a break in the early, he was playing well. I was down 5-4 in the first set. He was down a break, and I ended up having to take an injury timeout because I realized if I didn't win in straight sets, I wasn't winning. Because my back wouldn't last that long. I wouldn't be able to go through the pain. Got lucky. <laughs> One set, 7-5. And then second set, I, I think, you know, he got pretty frustrated with the timing of my injury timeout, which wasn't on purpose. I wasn't trying to do anything. It was just the fact, like, I, I needed to take it. Or it was, it was over. Uh, I, I, I like <laughs> it. Is the first title the sweetest? It gets you going. It gets you believing. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say it's the sweetest, but it was a future. But it gets it going. I remember I went from, I think, like 660 to like 490. I remember that. It was the first time I, I jumped up in the top 500. So everyone remembers their first professional title. But uh, definitely winning some challengers might have been a little sweeter. I <laughs> know. <laughs> well, you know, in that case, let's talk about some challengers you've won. And Dalton, that's how you do a transition. Take note. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was going to so- go in another direction. I'm going to cut you off. So you said sweeter. Um, give us give us some insight as to Halo Top Creamery. Oh yeah. Uh, well, after Australia, you know. <laughs> oh my people, God. People, yeah. We, you know, Instagram and there's a lot of marketing there. So I was lucky enough to they reached out and you know gave me you know you know some free ice cream. So gave a shout out. <laughs> Never and, turned and, down free ice cream. Yeah, no. uh, it, it was a weak thing. So it, it's it stopped from there, but it's uh, definitely a company I like. Birthday cakes, the flavor for me, and love it. <laughs> <laughs> Did they ask you to shave the beard when posing with the ice cream? Oh no, no, no! Uh, <laughs> shave, shaving the beard is is tough for me, uh, especially my girlfriend loving loving my beard. So, <laughs> I'm, so not allowed, no I'm not allowed to touch a razor. <laughs> I like it. Well. Like I said, let's talk about some challengers you've won. Uh, obviously, you know, you cracked the top 100. Well, I guess not obviously, but to, for people yeah. who follow tennis, you cracked yeah. the top 100 in, two, in 2012. But then in 2015, you really made a run uh, on the grass. Mm-hmm. You win in Surbiton, you, uh, or you lose the finals of Surbiton, and then you win Ilkley? Yeah, Ilkley. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, you know, that culminates with a round of 16 at Wimbledon uh, where you lose to Marin Chilich in four sets. Just talk yeah. about that run on the summer. It, you know, were you a grass player before that, and do you consider yourself one now? Um, yeah. I mean, I've always loved grass. Uh, that was always my favorite. It's always, um, you know, a surface that kind of suited my game really well, playing flat. I was another time. It was a tough time in my career right before that happened. I made a coaching change. I dropped out of 150 for the first time, being, you know, hovering around 110 for 90, like 110 for a strong period of my career. And I kind of went over the grass and just new mentality and shape, really motivated. Uh, lost in the final, Serverton, 6-4, 5-4, serving, losing that match, heartbreaker. Um, and then for people who don't know, uh, all the challengers in um, England leading up to Wimbledon, if you win one, you get a wild card into Wimbledon. So knowing after losing that match, two match points, serving, it was pretty heartbreaking. Not sure if I could <laughs> go to the next week, just knowing that was on my mind. But I was able to have an incredible week in Ilkley and, and win. 
and have the same final against Matt Ebden and get my revenge and getting the phone call right after getting awarded the <laughs> wild card was, was incredible. was awesome. I think it was the tournament director of Wimbledon. I'm pretty sure it gives you a call. And then, um, it was awesome. I, I knew it was coming after I won. So it was pretty incredible. And then, um, a dream run for me, making a fourth round of a slam, playing some great matches, playing Cuevas first round, down two sets to love, coming back, winning in five, beating uh, Sasha Zverev in four sets on one of the hottest days at Wimbledon, which isn't like crazy hot, but it's tough on grass. So having a four set battle and then getting lucky enough, uh, Nisha Corey pulling out and me and Santiago Geraldo in the third round, both going for our first time in the fourth round and, and having a five set thriller was incredible i remember like it was yesterday and and one of the greatest definitely probably the greatest moment of my career uh so far absolutely but in terms of you know that being such a big result you're playing on espn so many people are watching you know did anything change for you did people start to recognize you hey i saw you playing you know fourth round wimbledon against chillich yeah um i definitely was on the radar a little bit nothing crazy but that was cool. I mean, I, I, I never played this sport for the fame. I, I never liked, uh, I never thought that was, you know, the greatest thing is to be famous. Um, but, you know, when you get recognized, things, you meet some people and, and things get, uh, I guess you say more opportunities open up. So that was cool to be able to use that for a little bit. And, um, but, you know, now knowing I can do that and, I can, you know, perform that well on such a high stage, on such a big level. Uh, it's definitely motivated me to um, want to do it again. You know, I, I haven't done it in a while. I My grass court results even haven't been that great in the last two years. But I know this year uh, things are changing. I'm playing well. I'm finding my game again, uh, similar to that year. And I'm definitely hoping for some big things. And uh, I, I think they can, uh, they can happen for sure if, things fall my way you talk about opportunities and this is you know that was a not going to be the best transition because my question is yeah. a little different but yeah. so you uh you know you wear the lacoste clothing or at least you're always in a shirt with a collar and i just <laughs> yeah. have to ask is that comfortable like do you enjoy that i am so anti-collared shirt tennis yeah um uh, i'm just used to it that's uh that's lacoste's <laughs> you know, obviously it's their brand. Uh, it's very classy. I love it. I've always worn collared shirts, not all the time. You know, when I was younger, when I buy my own shirts, some would be collared, some wouldn't. But collars never bothered me. Um, it's it's kind of a mix. I wear a collared shirt, but I also wear a backwards hat, so it's kind of an interesting. Mix. <laughs> I love but it. uh, it's yeah, it's, it's something I, I just never thought about. I've been wearing collared shirts for ten years now, so it's uh, I guess you just kind of stop thinking about it. <laughs> And now with uh, John moving over to Fila, you're the only, I think, one of, if not the only American that's sponsored by Lacoste, right? On the men's side. There are definitely some women who have it. But, uh, yeah, it's awesome. Great brand, great relationship. I, I can't say a bad thing about Lacoste. And um, I'm just really grateful that they've always believed in me and supported me. And it's a relationship that I'm hoping I can, um, I can have for the rest of my career. I do want to transition to your 2018 season and, you know, we want to be cognizant of your time. So we don't want to take up too much longer, but I just want to list off a streak of five opponents you played in January uh, of this year. You played Riley Opelka, 
Patrick Kipson, Tommy Paul, Taylor Fritz, and Mackenzie McDonald back-to-back. Uh, for our listeners who are unaware, all of those guys are young Americans, all 22 and younger. Uh, kind of talk to us about this crop of young American talent and how you know their success has pushed you guys and just pushed American tennis in general uh, to greater heights. Young crop of American players are, are incredible. The talent that they have, the different game styles and what they bring makes it incredibly difficult to even play in the U.S. Challengers now because these guys have all showed they can go deep in big tour events. And then these are the same guys you're playing first round Challengers because they're still growing and getting used to, you know, their bodies and how, how their game is kind of going to grow into the sport. It makes it tough. Uh, it was something I realized maybe part of the slump I've had wasn't so much that I was playing poor, but that I wasn't improving. And I was playing the same game that I was playing when I was younger. And they got all these guys just bigger and even more talent. So I needed to get better. Um, and that's something I took out. And these guys, you guys push you to a serious limit and, and you got to keep up with the new wave of young tennis. I can only imagine what's going to happen at, even after these guys. But uh, I'm definitely excited for the future of American tennis. No doubt. No doubt. I, speaking of American tennis, and I know I mentioned this when we were talking right before the pod, but, uh, you know, we had Tim on on Monday and mm-hmm. he was he was talking some mad game about his golf game in particular. What? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> tell us uh, who are some like the best. Who's the best golfer on the American side? Pretty sure it's Jack Sock. I've never played with him, but I'm pretty sure he's the <laughs> Word on the uh, yeah. Of course he is. Yeah, he's really, really good. Steve Johnson's pretty good. I don't know how good Isner is, but I'm just going to say, uh, I'll say he's terrible. So I don't know. <laughs> no. No, he's all right. But, well, six, uh, six, ten, six, eleven. Yeah, tough. I can only imagine how tough it is for him, but I think he's all right. Tim is pretty good. Tim is pretty good. Uh, he definitely likes to look the part, but <laughs> he takes it. He definitely feel like takes it the most serious. <laughs> Um, some, sometimes too serious. So I, I like to give a little crap about it, but uh, I like um, it. yeah, you know, he, he's if anyone's ever been more particular about clubs, it's definitely him from the, oh. from the tennis world. <laughs> I like, well, but, sim- similar based question. You know, you are part of the Saddlebrook training crew, and I think that's you, Isner, like Jared Hiltzik, Smechak, the whole Billy Heiser crew. And so, yeah, you know, I know there's that little 60 yard field or whatever right by the tennis courts. Mm-hmm. You know, all of you guys are lining up for sprints. Who wins? I'm going, I mean, sprints, one sprint, uh, maybe Hiltzik's pretty fast. <laughs> one sprint. Tim, Tim, and Jared are definitely faster than one sprint. But we go ten, twenty sprints. Uh, uh, I will. I'll say myself. Um, I pride myself. <laughs> Gotta claim the throne. Yeah, <laughs> and then, and yeah, I, th- I think I could take these guys when it comes to uh, doing it over and over and over, lots of times. But one time, I'm definitely not the quickest guy, but I can repeat uh, pretty high level. I feel like. I want to talk about your 2018 season just a little bit more because obviously you did have that success at the Australian Open, but then, you know, recently you win the Drummondville Challenger, you lose in the final in Guadalupe. Uh, how much of, you know, these results is a testament to just the confidence you've built in 2018? Just in any sport, it, it takes so long to gain confidence and you can lose it in, in one match potentially. So I've been just working really hard trying to, 
control what I can control. And it just, I think it's showing now that I'm learning from my mistakes and I'm playing better than I've played in the last couple of years. And uh, I'm out here trying to uh, get back to where I was before and really play at a high level and bring my A game as much as I can. And I think guys know that. And guys who are looking at results, they're not dumb. Everyone knows who's winning, who isn't, who's confident. So uh happens. I mean, I, I start getting on some guys' radars and start, guys start coming for you and they start playing better and better. So that's where you need to constantly maintain a high level and never get satisfied. So I'm definitely confident and uh, I'm glad, you know, pressure is a privilege and I'm glad I'm in the position I am right now. I love that. Episode title is absolutely pressure is a privilege. I want to ask one more thing about 2018. You know, you're 121 in the world in the live rankings right now. You know, mm-hmm. obviously you're trying to surge back to the top 100. Uh, you know, is that the type of goal where if you do that, you'll mark 2018 as a successful season? Or is it more, like you mentioned, just getting better every day? Uh, for me right now, I mean, just getting better every day. Uh, I mean, when... I got to one of my highest rankings. I, I was top 100 for majority of the year, and I considered it a bad year just because I wasn't improving. I was dropping, and I wasn't enjoying myself, and I, I could tell. And then the next years were were bad to follow. So for me, it's not so much a number goal, but more of constantly improving, staying in shape. Um, you know, I have my own personal goals and with my team, and, and knowing that I can keep up with those. and that for me will be success so it's definitely uh more than just just the ranking one last thing i want to ask you about these rule changes you know on the next gen finals we've seen them incorporate no ad scoring and shortening sets and you know in the wta they've allowed coaches to come on court Uh, what are your thoughts you know you've played since i you know first pro event was what 2008 Mm -hmm. and so you know what are your thoughts on you know the developments and trying to quicken the game uh, the game could be good. Uh, I think how physical the game is now and how tough it is, uh, showing it could be good. Um, there's definitely pros and cons to it. I don't know. I feel like maybe you could shorten sets but keep the score. But if you shorten everything, it will become too much of a lottery. So I think it will favor kind of bigger guys, the way kind of the sport's going. So that kind of sucks for me personally but uh could favor me at the same time you just never know it just becomes a little bit more of uh kind of a crapshoot a little bit i i think i think the way tennis is a lot of things could change i i like the way it's going i like kind of how they're trying to keep it more fun more interesting for players and fans and we'll kind of see uh what happens and maybe there will be some cool changes while i'm still playing or uh but i definitely do think next 20 30 40 years um there could be some big changes in tennis awesome and on that note we will move over to the final segment the uh uh, rapid fire segment here i'm sure you've done plenty of this uh being a seasoned vet (laughs) we'll uh we'll give you eight to ten questions provide one word answers and we'll uh we'll get started here all right best american ping pong player can I say Ryan Williams? <laughs> my boy, my boy Ryan, fisherman, yeah. ping pong player, love it. Uh, yeah. Favorite meal off the court? Nachos. You've been to you way play? too many sporting events. If you're like, <laughs> nachos, that's love nachos. What a good one. Which uh, which house would you be in Harry Potter? That'd be Hogwarts. Oh no, Hogwarts. Uh, is it Hogwarts? 
No, that, not Hogwarts. That, it's Gryffindor. Uh, Gryffindor. That's what I meant. I haven't watched it so long. I forgot. You'd probably get into Hogwarts, though. We feel that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he uh, did take his SATs. So come on. Yeah. Uh, bag, house, car. What do you clean first? House. Uh, yeah, favorite, I'm OCD. There you go. Uh, favorite video game? I don't play video games, but the last video game that I played that I like was NHL 98 on the computer. <laughs> <laughs> shout out. Shout out. Back yeah. in baseball, 2005. <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. okay. <laughs> if you were to take away any stroke, which would it be? I would take away my forehand. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite song or artist right now? Crazy to say, but I've been, lis- I've been listening to uh, Disturbed. Ooh, I like that. I like old that. Old school. I'm getting back to the old. Yeah, it's intense. That's some 90s, early 2000s stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Favorite, favorite city in the world? Washington, D.C. Favorite thing about a fresh can of tennis balls is? The smell. Uh, well, Dennis, thank you so much for taking uh, the time to come on tonight. All right. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was fun. For sure, yeah, for sure. Of course, Dennis, good luck in 2018, and, you know, we're happy to have you on whenever you'd want. All right, thanks again. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Gruskin and I's conversation with Dennis Kodla. The bit about him going back and forth on the Metro to the Junior Tennis Champion Center in College Park was pretty funny. Um, And then, of course, love the quote that pressure is a privilege. That was awesome for our junior listeners. Great message there. Um, Also want to make sure to give a shout out to our producer, the magician Daniel Westoff, who is currently down in Austin, Texas, waiting for me to send this over. Uh, But on the horizon, we have some great interviews coming for you. Uh, Torp from Ohio State, Carousel, and more, so stay tuned there. Uh, Take five seconds to follow us on Twitter and Instagram and go like the Facebook page. And please don't forget to rate and review our podcast at iTunes only at five stars. Thank you very much. Um, And we are also now on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, the TuneIn app, and wherever you get your podcasts. So check us out there. And I know most of you are doing this already, but continue to tell your friends and family about Cracked Rackets and the podcast, especially those tennis fans in your circle that are looking for all things tennis. But for one, Alex Gruskin, Daniel Westoff, I'm Dalton Thieneman, and we will see you next time, Crack fans. Mm-hmm.